to Properties, the podcast that cuts the property industry to the bone. We answer your questions with our expert guests and call out all the bullshit that makes the industry only slightly more popular than British politics. We are your hosts, Matt Smith. And I'm Chris Erickson. And we are your Properties. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode three of Properties. How are you doing, Matt? I'm very good, thanks, Chris. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. What's been happening since uh, the last podcast? Oh, God, so much. I mean, I've uh, I've just come back from Denmark, which I had the most brilliant time. Um, I went to a wedding uh, in Viborg, which is uh, in the north of Jutland. Um, what a country. Yeah. Spotlessly clean. You could eat off the pavement. Everything was just immaculate. I was, it was amazing and beautiful weather. So yeah, it was, it was very, very impressive. And then I got back to London and then uh, back to Norbury where I live, and uh, there was just trash everywhere. <laughs> Great, good on. Back in London, anyway, yeah, so, yeah, all good though. All good to be back. Good. Denmark does have the highest standard of living in the world. Yeah, you've now seen it firsthand. I certainly have. The food was amazing as well. Don't talk to me. Everyone was gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> The scenery was beautiful. I paddled in a lake, which wasn't filled with sewage. Yeah, very, very good. Very good. What about you? Uh, well, I said don't talk about food because I've been on a 21-day detox, which has been absolute hell, but very good. You do look good, though, mate. Thanks, mate. We're now coming up to uh, the last five days or four days. And then I'm going to celebrate with a meter-long pizza. And a, a massive binge. A, a jug of beer and, <laughs> and an ice-cold can of Coke. Because right. I've had no sugar, no gluten, no alcohol, no caffeine, and something else. A fate worse than a fate worse. Yeah, death. it's right. tough. Yeah, okay, But yeah. so here we are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so today we're not going to have an interview like we did last time with Rupert. We're, no. we're going to talk about some of the most important topics in the industry. Yeah, we've got a lot to discuss today. We do. So let's crack on. Let's just before we do um, with, our, with, our, with our planned subjects, I was just saying uh, nationwide have said that we are now at a tipping point with interest rates um, where the uh, one of the solutions that the government was encouraging banks to offer um, is uh, switching to interest only um, for a certain amount of time. Um, nationwide are now saying that we're at a tipping point that we're switching to interest only for some people between 6.25 and 6.5% will actually not make too much difference mm. to their affordability. So we're not going to talk about interest rates because we talked about that in our first episode. And I think we'll probably have a lot to discuss on that over the next few months, certainly sure after the will. summer. But I thought I'd just mention that because that's, um, I think, very topical in, in everybody's minds. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot to discuss. And one of the things that we're going to talk about um, is cladding, because um, this is something that's been uh, uh, very much in the press and in the media. And um, recently, the Sunday Times broke a story about it. So I'm just going to read a little bit. Um, and and then we can talk about it. So in the UK, manufacturers of dangerous cladding are being pursued for millions in taxpayer money spent to correct the nation's unsafe flats. This follows the revelation that some of the buildings that applied to the government's 5.1 billion repair funds were coated in flammable panels produced by companies that made false claims about their fire safety. This development brings hope to families caught in the nation building society scandal exposed after the Grenfell tragedy in 2017. Now, the report highlights that 91% of unsafe flats have not been fixed, with 660,000 people still in danger. Loopholes in government contracts allow developers to leave flammable 
cladding on blocks they legally agreed to repair. And meanwhile, the country's biggest freeholders have paid just 35 million to fix just a few of those blocks. But most alarmingly, the manufacturers involved in the Grenfell tragedy, including Kingspan, Arsonic and Celotex have yet to pay a penny to ending the crisis. And this is despite the claims that all three companies practiced frauds to the market and have made little to no effort to rectify the situation. And developers are also found to be using loopholes to avoid costs, and they are allowed to fix only what a fire expert they appoint says they should, often ignoring the advice of experts assigned by the residents or freeholders, resulting in flat owners paying high insurance bills on homes they may not be able to sell. As a result, demand for flats has cooled significantly due to the potential risks, and meanwhile, lenders and surveyors are being accused of failing to implement solutions that work in practice, further exacerbating the problem. And boy, do we know that firsthand, don't we, Chris? Yeah, Jesus. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of lack of words here, but just what a fucking mess. Um, yeah. we, we do know this firsthand because we have a wonderful client or clients who were caught in this particular position, and this is actually about two years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, where they came up to a point where they had to remortgage. Yeah, They couldn't remortgage because no bank would lend to them because they couldn't get what they call an EWS-1 certificate. Um, and I'm going to look up what the EWS-1 actually is. It's the External Wall System Fire Review Certificate. So yeah. that's a certificate that's not, it's not legally obliged to have, but it's a condition that lenders put upon lending. So it becomes sort of, you know, in fact legal anyway, because you can't remortgage without it. That's right. And they were caught in a situation where they'd had to sort of go up on their on their rate that they currently had. Yeah. And this is before interest rates. Uh, That's right. And, and, and the property was valued at zero. At zero. And it was a two and a half million pound flat. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, at desperate times. Um, and I mean, what's most shocking here is, it, I mean, there's so many shocking things about this revelation. Um, but the fact that, you know, the government spent 1.5 billion out of 9.1 billion that they put away in funds, uh, in grants. Shocking. Yeah, over, over a course of nine years. I mean, that, that means it's going to take almost 100 years to get this fixed uh, at this rate. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. And the fact that there's bureaucracy and loopholes so that yeah. everyone can blame each other. That's right. Know, Res- resulting in, in the cladding manufacturers having not paid anything. Yeah. And I mean, these cladding manufacturers that you mentioned, um, well, Arsonic were one of them, I mean, mm-hmm. and Salotex was the other. I mean, these are $3 billion US cladding companies. Yeah, exactly. And these are, you know, juggernauts mm. of the industry in terms mm. of how much revenue they have. And of course, they've just pushed the buck down the road. They really have. I mean, you know, that that flat that we mentioned earlier, the two and a half million pound flat, that development, um, fortunately for the owners there, has now pretty much been rectified. Um, it's been covered in scaffolding for yeah. the last few years um, and they have replaced the cladding. But these are um, central London flats where they're worth several millions um, and people have obviously actively made sure that these uh, have become saleable again um, but there are many many people um, who simply do not have the resources um, and are trapped with expanding families yeah. um, in flats that are terrifyingly unsafe um, I think we can all say that Michael Gove um, is 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 doing his best I think on this to try and force uh, to force um, this to be rectified but as we've just mentioned I mean very little has actually been done because there's such a blame blame yeah, game that's going right. on yes. i mean it's a tricky situation because <clears throat> if we talk about so who's at fault for this right you've got the manufacturers on one side producing this 
you've got the developers using the material, you've got the government enforcing some legal uh, obligations, and then you've got the consumer, the end user, who you know who can also take a little bit of blame, I suspect, but very little in comparison to the other three. Very little, because they thought what they were buying was safe because they were told it was safe, yeah. and theoretically, government guidelines had been met. Yeah, so, so that's the problem, right? Yeah. Because if the manufacturer of this particular cladding material, is it referred to as K15? I think it is. Yes. Um, which is the same panels they used on the Grenfell Tower That's where right. 72 people died in 2017. Mm-hmm. And boy, do we remember that. Yeah. But if, if the manufacturer is saying, well, you authorized us to use this material, the developers are well, then using that material to build it. And then the government saying, clearly, it's not safe. You're going to have to pay for it. You know, they're, they're, they're going to well, say, well, but the well, Sunday Times are claiming that this, these were falsified, uh, falsified um, safety certificates. And I, I mean, I think this is... This is about to unfold, I think, even more, isn't it? But it doesn't help the people that are living in these properties. No. But then does the taxpayer, you and I, do, do we bail people out? I think you know, this I, is why yeah. it keeps going around in circles. I, th- I think this this should fall on the developers and the manufacturers, ultimately. I mean, particularly, I mean, uh, it's tricky because if the government has authorized a particular material, then that's one thing. But and that falls on us as taxpayers, right? But if they falsify documents to yeah. say that these are fire safe and they're not, yeah, it's like a Russian spy novel. Yeah. Yeah, God. and and in between, what was the article? It said six hundred sixty thousand people are still living in highly flammable, dangerous buildings. Exactly, that could the same thing happened in Grenfell could happen again. Can you imagine? And you're living yeah. there with your children or your elderly parents or whatever, or just yourself. I yeah. mean, frankly, yeah, yeah. Uh, shocking. Fine. Well, I mean, look, Michael Gove is trying to sort this out and has actually um, brought in um, something that is going to make a difference, certainly going forward, which is um, a safety bill. Um, now. This is uh, the Building Safety Act, which establishes three new bodies, the Building Safety Regulator, the National Regulator for Construction Products, and the New Homes Ombudsman. This legislation aims to enhance building management and provide a comprehensive framework for the home building industry, encouraging more high-quality homes. Now, details of provisions of the Act will be implemented um, through secondary legislation. And this Act introduces new leaseholder protection measures, preventing building owners from passing the costs of historical safety defects onto leaseholders. In particular, it will prevent them from charging qualifying leaseholders for cladding removal or remediation costs. And the BSR, that's the Building Safety Regulator, will oversee safety and performance of all buildings. Now, that's something that we're going to come back to, all buildings. But just before the new homes ombudsman will provide a platform for new homers to escalate complaints and developers will be required to be come and remain part of the scheme. I think that's great. It gives residents of high-rise buildings more control over building safety and the ability to raise concerns directly to building owners and managers who will be accountable. Again, fantastic. And it introduces a new developer tax and a levy on developers, ensuring the industry contributes to the costs of rectifying past mistakes. Fantastic. Yeah, in, in theory, certainly. Um, I, I just, what happens if the developer just says, well, we don't have the... We don't have the revenue or, or not the revenue but the profits to actually put aside to to, to help fund um the change on the cladding what happens then because ultimately the, the people that live in these properties as we know right their, their property value from a bank's perspective is zero yeah until it's rectified yeah i mean two million pound properties ten million pound properties two hundred thousand pounds it doesn't matter the value is zero they have to sell they can't sell the property. We can't sell them for them. Right. I mean, it, only if you have a cash buyer, right? Because as I said earlier, the EWS1 certificate isn't a legal uh, requirement. 
unless you have a lender involved. Yeah. But a cash buyer is going to be told by their solicitor, hang on a second, yeah, this is an unsellable do asset. Absolutely. And, and, and they shouldn't do it unless, of, no, course, of course, they're course. buying it at some insanely low value and they know that eventually they're going to get this form and, you know, they're prepared to take a punt. But Chris, this um, this new um, act is is about future yeah. developments, really. Uh, but but where, where it isn't, and you're right to bring it up, is, for example... If you're in a building that is um, five floors or more and or over 11 meters, even if it doesn't have any sort of modern cladding, it can be a red brick building, mm. um, you are still required now by this new act and solicitors are just getting their heads around this because I don't think anybody really realizes that this is happening just yet. The solicitors are going to advise buyers that they need to have a certificate to say that this building is safe, whether it's got cladding in it or not, if it's over those um, heights, which yeah. let's face it, a lot of a lot of properties are even, you know, just Victorian mansion blocks. And this is causing havoc uh, in, in the sales in the flat sales industry at the moment. Um, and I mean, we can we can attest to that firsthand. People do not realize that a they're supposed to have this for the property that they're selling. Yeah. The managing agents are not prepared and have not uh, got their freeholders or their uh, share of freeholders um, to supply these certificates. And it's going to cause massive delays over this summer. And I think a lot of properties that perhaps would have sold this spring are not going to sell until I would say sometime in the autumn if they don't fall through in the current environment yeah. because look at where we are anyway. And this is just something once again that perhaps hasn't been fully thought through um, with the very best of intentions let's face it i mean these are good things we need these safety measures um but boy is it causing havoc yeah and and we went to a solicit well we had solicit a big law firm in london a big conveyancing law firm invited us among with quite a few others to a, a summer party right in mayfair it's a beautiful beautiful evening it and we, we spoke to a lot of the sort of partners senior partners there and they were sort of saying they were tearing their hair out because yeah. some of these transactions that should take on average anywhere between sort of four to 12 weeks yeah. are taking, in, at some cases, a year or more yeah. because there's so much new legislation. No one knows what's actually being put in place. No one knows how to get it. And these are top law firms. These are top law firms. And yeah. Chris, you know, what they were also saying was they're actually turning down if they can leasehold properties yeah. you know, because the the amount of work is just insane so you know where, where you might have a, a freehold house that's worth an absolute fortune there's much more work that will go into a you know seven hundred and fifty thousand mm. pound flat um and uh that is a, a, a real shocker does this does this um do, do leasehold houses fall under this as well in right. terms of the, the the height measurements, because there's you know large houses can easily come into those metrics, right? If there's a leaseholder, yes, because you know it's it's the freeholder's responsibility to provide the certificate, um, and uh, therefore uh, uh, you know the, 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 uh, somebody who's buying it, buying a lease, are going to want to know that they are not going to have to pay into. Yeah. Um, massive service charges in order to fix a problem that's already existing. I was just thinking because outside of London, freehold houses are very common in London, but outside of London, mm. a lot of houses are leasehold. Yeah. So, you know, and, and a standard big four-bedroom terraced house could easily hit those metrics and then be required the same certification. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think we'll, let, let's make some inquiries about that. Yeah. We can confirm that next time. But I would say yes. Um, you know, the leasehold houses are also something that I think uh, Mr. Gove is trying to, trying to rectify because that's also... Why buy a house that's on a lease? You you yeah. want to know that you own, 
the whole shebang, right? Yeah. Otherwise, you might as well buy a flat. Well, I mean, this, this ties up nicely with several things, but one of the things is the fact that it's, it's the whole system is so inefficient. And I think every single person we speak to, from surveyors to, to top lawyers, they say the same thing. It's just, yeah. There's just no uh, clarity in the industry. I mean, even for us, we've been doing this for over 20 years. We still come across things now that we don't know, just like you did here with this particular, mm-hmm. particular uh, sort of requirement, right? Yeah. Uh, and the same thing for solicitors. You know, they, they don't know everything that's coming up and no, sure. legislation is happening in the background. Change. Exactly. And all this extra legislation and then you're talking about like you know putting a developer tax and a levy on Mm -hmm. on developers Mm -hmm. well that means less fewer developers going to be building and that brings us on to various other topics we're going to discuss in terms of um, the lack of housing being built very good well let's move on to the next topic perfect So the next topic we're going to discuss is holiday homes and shortlets in the countryside. Now, this particular issue has been in the papers quite a bit recently, namely because Airbnb fell into this. Um, and everyone knows Airbnb. And there's been lots of talks, particularly down in Cornwall, um, about the Airbnb market and whether it should be regulated, um, not Airbnb itself, but shortlets. Yeah. And this particular um, article raised a point. There was a member of parliament for Westmoreland and Lonsdale, and that particular area of England uh, is the sort of northwest, and it covers the Lake District, which is one of the most iconic and beautiful spots in the country. Yeah. And he's raised concerns about an impending housing crisis that is impacting the local community. Now, the crisis, he says, is attributed to three main factors. So lack of affordable housing, which we know is true for the entire country. Yeah. An increase in second homes, leading to many properties remaining vacant for large parts of the year. Yeah. And a boom in the short-term rental sector, displacing long-term residents. Yeah. The housing crisis is leading to local residents being evicted and forced to leave their jobs and move many miles away. And this has come about through a 32% rise in holiday lets in that particular area um, post-pandemic. Um, the MP supports the introduction of a separate planning use category for short-term lets, giving local authorities more control. Um, the other big thing as to why these short lets and Airbnb are so popular now is because the income from holiday lets has increased by nearly 40% in the past decade, which has now surpassed the income from buy-to-let properties. And the most important part is, is that there are tax rules that favor holiday let investments over traditional buy-to-lets, which contributes to the shift. And... If a property is available for at least 140 days a year and at least 70 days a year it's let for, then a landlord or short-term landlord can switch from council tax to business rates, okay. which is a considerable saving. So that's why a lot of people are doing it. They're thinking, well, I could put, rent this out for a year or I can rent it out for two months of the year, make you know, t- charge a higher fee because of the, the sort of peaks in the market and then pay business rates as opposed to council tax rates. And also, I think a lot of landlords do this sort of thing themselves, so they don't end up paying uh, an agency fee. Absolutely. And so part of the problem, I mean, we'll talk more in detail about those three main factors, but part of the problem is that the government has absolutely no idea how many people are doing shortlets mm. because there's no control at the moment. But are they not looking at... Uh... They are. They, they are. They, there is a um, government-initiated uh, consultation at the moment, which is going uh, about short-term let yeah. register. Um, which is supposed uh, to be... Uh... 
uh, getting the results of this month, right? This month, yeah. It was actually scheduled for June, but we're already in July as we record this. It hasn't come out yet. Mm. Um, I had a look on the government's website, and uh, it's a questionnaire, and you have to agree or disagree to certain things. I'm not going to go through the entire thing because yeah. it's only consultation, and it's relatively boring. But the main idea being that each short-let property has to be registered yeah. with the local council or local government, whichever uh, supersedes it, and they are given a, a number. And that number is then uh, linked to a government, to the government gateway. And then the government has full uh, sort of visibility of how many people actually do in short-term lets in this area. And presumably you wouldn't be able to advertise your property without this number. That's one of the ideas as well, is that mm. you put it, I mean, they're discussing whether you put it on the website, on the online portal, yeah. but you have to have that number in. So. And the plan is that non-compliance will be met with civil penalties. Correct, yeah. 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 Well, and, I mean, this is not a bad thing. No, I don't think it's a bad thing. Although I, I personally love Airbnb. Yeah, as do I, um, during the pandemic, I was one of those uh, 32% increases that, that went around England on Airbnbs. Um, super spreader. Yeah, super. <laughs> <laughs> Highly isolated um, in the water park. Um, but yeah, so I mean, lack of affordable housing is a major issue across the entire it country. Is. And we just talked about cladding, which is mm -hmm. you know, talking about imposing various levies and taxes on developers, which means developers are, are going to build less. But I suspect, you know, I was on a tour yesterday, as you know, um, with, with a Turkish family looking to buy a flat for their daughter, which was a very common scenario um, pre-pandemic, if you mm. like, less so now yeah. because of you know, everything from Brexit to the pandemic itself. But yeah. And we did an extensive tour around uh, SW8 and SW11 and that's nine elms for those that don't know the postcodes and you know there's what 25 35,000 flats being built there yeah and the whole thing's a construction site now yeah. in for what 10 years now yeah it's it's Longer. it's amazing to see what's coming up there but to live there right now uh, you know might be tricky unless you're sort of having you know facing the river away yeah, from facing away from the construction away from the construction mm. but he was saying you know the problem is there's not enough and they, they, sorry he was saying the opposite he was saying well there's so much to choose from you know how do i sell my apartment right and i sort of said well you know you have to be you look for something unique something yeah that has a real USP factor into it, right? But I was saying that we're actually, we don't have too much homes here. We have too few homes. So the problem is that these homes, these one beds are starting at a million pounds. Yeah, they're that, not that's affordable a, homes. That's a 1% click of, yeah. the, of the world's population. Right, that's not going to be your shop assistant yeah. or your bar manager or your nurse. Correct. Or your, yeah, yeah. Correct. And then, um, you know, who wants to who wants to build affordable housing because the profit margins are so much lower? Does the government have to build them? Well, let's come on to that a bit later. Let's just focus a little bit more on this, on the, on the second homes in the countryside mm -hmm. or second homes for holidays before we talk about um, uh, planning and uh, and um, more affordable housing. But did you know, Chris, according to the English Housing Survey, 772,000 households have second homes. Wow. I know. And 495,000 of those are in the UK. Yeah. And the most popular areas are Cornwall, Devon, and as you said, the Lake District. Um, and uh, there are just not enough homes for local people. So what are the solutions to this? Because we were discussing yesterday mm. how you, you can't actually build in a lot of these areas because they're areas of outstanding natural beauty. And where is the... the I, personally, I think people should be able to have a second home, especially if you if you live in a city um, and you are lucky enough to be able to afford to buy something in a more rural area where you perhaps can take your children at the weekend um, or you can uh, take time out of your very busy life. Um, where can you go um, where you are able to buy a property and not be ostracized or, or, or not put 
the local people out of um, out of uh, the town where they grew up, went to school, know everybody, and 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 not cause them to not be able to afford a property there. What's the solution to that? Yeah, it's it's a very good question, and I think this is one of the questions that the government's been pondering for quite a while, right? That the problem is that I've just brought up on the laptop here. You can see here, Matt. This is a map of the UK, and mm. the green areas they're highlighted. Those are greenbelt areas. So if you look at that, they're, they're, they're dotted around, mostly around London. There's some down in Bournemouth, but the rest of um, so southwest mm. is empty, as, as is these Wales. Are, these are green belts around cities. Though, yeah, but these about are being outside. These are the all city. these are all the green belt areas in the UK, mm. flat out. Yeah, and there's not that many. If you look, most of it's in northwest. Yeah, and then around London. Yeah, but like, you look at Norwich, for example. Mm. I mean, there is no there are no green belt areas here at all. Yeah. So the problem is that the reason why people sort of conjure around these greenbelt areas is because they're very close to some of the biggest cities in the UK. That's right. You can build anywhere you want, anywhere outside of there. The problem is there's no infrastructure, there's no towns, you know, we're talking about central business districts. That's mm. what the government has to do. And that means putting a lot of money into infrastructure, mm. which Labour as a government tends to be quite good at doing, which then creates jobs, houses, opportunities, etc. But but if there are, if people are wanting to buy holiday homes in certain areas, there must be a reason for developers to build them. Because if people want to spend a certain amount of money on holiday home, why wouldn't they buy it from an, from a, a new property? But where do you want to go? Where do you want if you want to buy a holiday home in the UK? What, what comes to mind? Well, personally, where do you want to buy? Personally, I'm not sure I would, but I suppose somewhere like uh, Norfolk or yeah. Devon or Cornwall or potentially even sort of Brighton Hove places like that. I mean, personally, I'd rather buy a holiday home in Spain, but. Uh, <laughs> As would I. But if you were to buy that in the UK, to look mm. at this map, I mean, for most of those areas, you're actually okay. I mean, you mentioned Norfolk, that's up here. There's no, yeah. there's no restrictions there. Um, Devon and Cornwall is slightly further down here. Bournemouth yeah. is protected through a big park. But there's obviously, according to these statistics, the, the majority of people in the UK or people who perhaps can afford, well, actually, I don't think we can say the majority, but clearly a lot of people want to buy homes in places like the Lake District, um, which is why these um, local people are putting out, being put out a bit. Well, look, I think we can now move on to what we want we're going to talk about then uh, just a moment ago was what is the government's uh, responsibility for for building new properties and what about working with other uh, working with private developers um, which I think is uh, often a trick that is missed and now for example John Lewis and Waitrose um, uh, were, uh, has faced criticism from local councillors over its build-to-rent property ambitions. Now, the company submitted planning application for 353 flats above a Waitrose store in Bromley. Mm-hmm. This is southeast London. Obviously, we're not talking about holiday homes now, but uh, talking about affordable housing as part of its strategy to diversify its revenue streams amid the high street slowdown. So they're looking for another another revenue stream. However, the company's plans have been deemed unacceptable by local councils, councillors who are opposing the project because it fails to meet the town council's recommendations that 35% of units should be affordable. John Lewis partnership has claimed that the target is unachievable due to increasing costs associated with large-scale schemes such as materials and has requested funding from the local authority. Mm. Now, despite the company's reporting revenue of over 12 billion last year, it made a loss, Chris, of 234 million. Yeah. So Julie Ireland, Bromley's Liberal Democrat group leader, believes the retail group should be able to fund this from their own resources. She accused the company of failing to, to look out for the community and is showing a lack of respect. In response to this, the John Lewis partnership stated, 
that it will, it will set aside properties for key workers, including nurses and teachers, and that has been working very closely with local stakeholders to meet the needs of the community. Surely there's something wrong here. If they are providing... Uh, a, a reasonable amount of properties and I think they absolutely should be made to to meet the government's requirements of affordable housing that's essential but why not why does the government not make um, uh, uh, it easier for councils to borrow money or for developers to have better tax incentives to build these sorts of properties it's exactly what we need I mean Bromley is an incredibly well connected part of southeast London that desperately needs to have some new housing and, and, mm. and you know, upmarket development. I mean, having a nice Waitrose store there with flats above it, that's got to be good for house prices and good for the area. Yeah, absolutely. But I was just curious, isn't it already law that, I mean, in terms of Waitrose getting planning permission approval, mm. yeah. the council can set a certain percentage, right? Of yeah. how many uh, how many affordable house yeah. homes do you have to build in conjunction with the actual development Bromley Council said 35%. Yeah. Surely they said, yeah, sure, we'll build 35% and then they get their planning application approved, right? Right. So they're breaking their planning application approval requirements. Well, one of thought so, but, 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 what, but what they're saying is, can the council contribute so that we can have more affordable housing? And I mean, if, if the council is going to say outright no, are they not going to build it? Well, I mean, that one, one. Well, you'd say tear it down. Then you, you failed to adhere to planning applications. Well, I, I don't think it's going. It hasn't been built yet. So they're saying we can't afford to build it if we have to have thirty-five percent of housing, yeah. right? So, if there's a, a, a collaboration, so John Lewis is stumping up the majority of the money. Why doesn't the government or the council make it easier, or perhaps give them some tax breaks or grants, or yeah, tax breaks and grants planning easier, or yeah. something to help them? You know, to let's yeah. have a symbiotic relationship because yeah. that is the only way um, by working together. If the government can't afford to build the homes themselves, although I still think that we're missing a trick there, I think that the government could afford to build and sell property because. Property developers do it all the time. So why can't the government build affordable housing and sell it on or keep it as social housing? I know you disagree with me on that point. Yeah, well, uh, I think I, they can. I, the, the, I, I keep thinking back to Croydon Council when, when you talk about sort of councils getting involved in property speculation and development because, as but you they know... they weren't building the properties. They were buying Croyd, yeah, buildings but, that turned out to be duds. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it was a, a lot of ill-fated commercial investments Imagine. that put them into a 1.3 billion debt and uh -huh. they declared bankruptcy yeah. for the second time in three yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my council tax keeps going up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and there's nothing to show for it. So I, I just don't know if... Filthy streets. Yeah. Um, I just don't know whether the government should, should get involved in that. They just don't seem like the best people. I mean, the government is so... Um, misplaced and useless. They are just useless. I mean, bureaucracy everywhere. You know, it, it takes a lot of planning, a lot of incentive, and you've got to be profit-minded when you're doing these developments. Hence, what I'm saying, collaboration. Mm. Collaboration. But I still think they could get a right if they had the right person doing it. And I also think John Lewis, you know, yes, they reported a loss this year, I suspect it was, well, right? I think it's been quite a few years. I mean, the, the high street, as we know, has, has been absolutely on its knees. I yeah. mean, they're, they're closing a lot of stores, so perhaps they'll turn it around. But I think it's good that they're looking at at other revenue streams, and I think that's the right way of doing it. And we, we need to collaborate. We need to work together. 
that's the way to some of these solutions. If it can't be done by one person, it can't be done by another person, but it could be done by both. So but that, that, that yeah, I, I agree. The only problem then is that you have a, you have a, you know local council uh, elections and, and government mm. uh, elections every five years. So you know you're looking at labour. We're going to talk about labour. Well, you're going to talk about labour in, in a little bit in terms of their plans. But you know, talking about sort of hyping up infrastructure, which was talked about earlier as well, right? But because of the state of the economy at the moment, they're going to have to put that aside and concentrating on reducing debt. Mm. By the time they've done that, they'll be out of power or there'll be another election. And so that particular infrastructure funding, if you like, mm -hmm. is out the window. So perhaps and this happens every five years. It should almost be uh, sort of put into the House of Lords and it doesn't matter what, what party comes in, well, they have right. to follow through. That would yeah. be a better way to say this is actually, you know, uh, what's it called? So national law. According to law, yeah. exactly. As opposed or, or, to or even parties. coalition governments. I mean, yeah. you know, well, make, that's the other talk. Although that's also can can make it less stable. But if uh, th there's there's got to, uh, housing is something that we all need. Yeah, for sure. And uh, how how it can be uh, how it should change from 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 government to government is is a problem. Um, but it does, and that's and that's where we are. All right, Chris. Well, I think that's uh, that's enough of that. Uh, poor old John Lewis. Um, <laughs> I, I hope I hope they do manage to get that bill. But uh, let's move on again. Yep. So um, we're going to talk about um, under-resourced planning departments within the government, and that sounds like a real snooze. So we we won't spend too much time on it. But effectively, what's happened here, and this all ties into what we're talking about. Why you know why aren't we building enough homes, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So there's a law firm called CMS, and CMS is one of the 25, 25 largest law firms in the world. So it's an international law firm. They've been in the papers recently for for I say things they would rather not be um, they handle quite a lot of wealthy people um, and governments as well but we, we'll move on from that but they did a, a full survey and on, on the housing industry in the UK and that survey revealed that 90% of builders believe that the planning system in the UK is slowing down development um, they also say that developers claim um, are their, their under-resourced planning system is delaying home constructions and deterring overseas investments. Most builders attribute these delays to a shortage of planning officers nationwide. Uncertainties surrounding the UK's planning process deter potential investors. And the other big part, of course, is that the removal of mandatory housing targets that happened last yeah. years um, has led to the lowest level of planning approvals since the 2008 financial crisis. Yeah. So, you know, these are factors that are underlying the developers when we're talking about why don't we just build more homes. The government is so inefficient in its ways. And it's just, I, and we deal with this and we see it as well. It's paper pushing. It's waiting, you know, for this person to sign off. In 2023, when we're talking about, you know, how AI is going to take over the world one day, perhaps, mm. and, and and you and I know how easy it is to to sort of scale certain things and how, to be very, very efficient by just changing certain processes. Here we have an industry which is, you know, vital to, to the success of the country that is currently completely out of touch with, uh, with, uh, with the times. Um, and the question is, what, what do we do about it? I mean, how, how, you know, what sort of uncertainties in the planning process can be reduced to provide clarity to these foreign investors? Because a couple of big U.S. investors um, were looking at some very big sites across the U.K. and they pulled out recently mm -hmm. because there was just too much uncertainty in the planning process. And also, we have, we are approaching a period where it's going to be impossible to not start talking about a change of government. Yeah. Um, Joe Biden uh, has has had had a meeting with with Labour 
um, officials uh, or labor leaders or rather people in the labor party which shows a clear sign that they're looking at the potential of a of a of a labor government and i think we can all i think we can all say that that's and very likely is going to be yeah they're, they're just the party in waiting aren't they yeah it's looking like it and they've got some some very big plans yeah, uh, for planning, Chris. Should we um, um, should we talk a little bit about those plans? Yeah, okay. Nicely. Let, let, let's do that. So, Labour, the Labour Party is proposing a scheme to enforce the sale of land f- from from landowners at below market value. Essentially, the intention behind this is to stimulate the construction of more houses. So Lisa Nandy, the shadow leveling up secretary, she's believed to be developing a plan that would change how land is valued when it's uh, acquired through compulsory purchase orders. So currently, landowners subject to compulsory purchase orders receive what's called a hope value, uh, which is based on the potential of their site receiving planning permission, which often results in in higher prices. So Labour plans to scrap the hope value um, if they if they if they win the next election. Um, and now this new policy um, has been welcomed by affordable housing advocates, obviously, sure. um, and proponents of new town development who've been pushing for the power to acquire land at lower prices. And I mean, I think that's key, obviously, to building uh, more affordable housing. Um, despite this the proposal is obviously very likely to face opposition from from landowners and even some developers um, I and mean, this is a, a a law that's been in place i think since the 40s um so uh that 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 is a that is a, a pretty massive change um and uh, according to the center for progressive policy agricultural land worth for example 22,000 uh, per hectare could be worth 6.2 million per hectare with planning permission, so that's two hundred and seventy-five times the value. So, I mean, you know, I, I think I think a lot of landowners are going to be very unhappy. Yeah. Um, but I wonder how many landowners uh, were going to vote la- Labour. <laughs> so, you know, they they may well be able to, to 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 bring this through if they if they get in. Yeah, and I looked at this, and I actually don't think it's a bad idea. I, I'm not f- much for sort of government intervention anywhere. I think the markets. For most parts, are, are quite um, productive in terms of sort of finding their own equilibrium. But clearly, in this case, um, it's not working. And this hope value was something that I didn't actually know before reading this article. I didn't realize that that's how you know they sort of say, "Well, this is the land, but you know, if we were to redevelop it, it's mm. worth X amount, and yeah. we want the difference, yeah. like effectively." And so, eliminating that is not a bad idea. Compulsory purchase orders scare the crap out of me. Yeah. I, I don't like them. We dealt with them, funny enough, didn't we, when um, uh, the Elizabeth Line, was it the Elizabeth Line? Mm-hmm. was being built across London. Yeah, Crossrail. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I remember Crossrail, that's right. And I remember um, selling properties in and around Soho where I had uh, Transport for London on the phone saying that um, we will buy this property and either your client plays ball or, or we'll do it through a compulsory purchase order. Mm. And I thought, oh my God, yeah. this was back in 2006, five, six, I think it was. It just scares me, but but I do get well, that Especially idea. if you don't get paid out the market value. Yeah, um, you know, but it's but difficult it is, it because what is the market value, right? Mm. Because the market value is perceived based on a hope value, right? So it's sort of a catch-22 because, you know, a lot of landowners own, a, you know, a ton, thousands of hectares of land mm. across the UK. I mean, yeah. We talk about these densely populated cities, but you get on the train and you go from, you know, London to Manchester, mm. you'll see, I mean, plenty of unused land in areas which are, you know, and, empty. And this is what we talked about previously is we, sh- we should be developing along train lines. Yeah. You know, we don't have to expand out in a circle but there's certainly an argument for fingers um, because and I'm not advocating necessarily compulsory purchase orders um, 
although I, I, am, well, I, I would imagine they're only for very important reasons, uh, yeah. you know, such as a, a desperate need for housing. Um, but um, land that is sitting doing nothing when there is a housing crisis is you can see why it's a uh, you can see why the general public i think would be in favor of something like this but then that again comes back to you know if labor comes in or should we say when labor comes in they're going to have to go through uh, they're going to have to get this voted in right mm. and how long is that going to take well how many exactly how many i mean landowners and developers who are very wealthy deep yeah. pockets well yeah. connected are going to fight them to the death absolutely to try and get them through to a, yeah. a new conservative government <laughs> exactly <laughs> it, absolutely that's what they'll do and then yeah. conservatives will come in and scrap the idea and then we're back to to no change right it, it, this is the the problem that we keep seeing every you know every of election course, yeah. um, but, but i think for having a king in charge or yeah, queen correct um, i think this is actually theoretically uh, quite a good idea agreed and uh, and labor also saying that it's uh, a growth strategy um and uh this will um will basically br bring in growth because um, using state power by reintroducing housing targets, building on green belts and facil facilitating cheaper compulsory land purchases by the state, uh, they are saying uh, rises property prices um, and um, it will deter workers from, from moving out of areas um, and that there should be uh, growth essentially from this. Um, and uh, that is also hard to argue with because desperately everybody wants growth mm. um it's not people don't judge uh quality of life um they judge growth which the is country's always got to be growing and it can only be growing by by immigration and by profit and uh in in and house prices going up share prices going up companies expanding but the, the, that, that that's interesting because that's a whole different problem and a whole, we could do a whole podcast on that. But I mean, Japan in, uh, famously doesn't uh, judge its country or its progress or success on GDP, which is growth, right? Um, it looks at so many other factors. And what's happening here in the West is that w the entire Western political setup is like a capitalist economy and it runs it like a business. Mm. And so, you know, businesses go up and down and so do these governments as opposed to looking out for the people, etc. Um, this fixation on growth within within the West is it, it, it's it's going to lead to nowhere because companies cannot keep growing forever. People cannot. Uh, you look at it now, right? We've got a soaring inflation issue in this country. Right? Yeah. And I heard on the radio, I think it was yesterday morning, maybe even this morning, they said that um, wages are going up. Yeah. They're now their highest they have been for yeah. years. They continue right? to grow. So mm. they continue to grow. Inflation continues to spiral. Yeah. Right? So. At what point are we going to stop, uh, you know, inflation going up? Well, the only thing the Bank of England can do is raise interest rates. Well, we can't keep raising interest rates because the government can't they pay. They could raise VAT. They can raise VAT. But I mean, taxing the economy is ultimately the worst thing for any government to do, right? Because that obviously slows down growth. Um, but it's a real tricky situation. And, and I think we're well, coming to the, the crossroads now. The, and the longer it goes on, the more people will be affected by interest rates because, because of the way we borrow on mortgages in this country means that a lot of people are on fixed rate mortgages mm -hmm. um, and therefore are, are, are not being affected at the moment. Right now, um, yeah. Or we're very lucky to tie in just before um, to a five-year fix. So, you know, they won't be affected. But people will be coming off their, their current mortgages and they are going to be affected. Um, but the, the, the inflation and uh, that we are all suffering through at the moment so is absolutely no sign of abating. No, and also because 
the way we can work nowadays, I not being fixed physical in an office, right? People mm. can can go anywhere and work. And we yeah. see this. A lot of people have now moved to sunnier places within the continent. And yeah. they work for British companies in Barcelona, in Italy, in Greece, on UK wages. Yeah. I mean, they must be loving it. I mean, I'm almost kicking. We're sort of kicking. Yeah. Why didn't we go why to didn't tech? We, yeah, why didn't, yeah. Why didn't we do something like that? But that's what's happening. Yeah. And they're asking for, you know, they're, they're you know, coming from all, all parts of, of Europe, um, you know, and asking for London wages, living in a, in a country or a city where it's, you know, 10 times cheaper to live in. Yeah. Um, so, you know, effectively, they're 10 times better off. And, and that's the sort of brain drain that the UK is seeing. But we're going to see this staggered across, just like interest rates, right? Mm. Uh, a lot of people are still on fixed rates. And a lot of people haven't come off it yet. But as they do across the next sort of five years, right? Most people don't fix in for longer than five years. So within yeah. the next five years, a lot of people are going to be suffering. I mean, us included. Uh, yeah. And it's going to be tough. going to be tough. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and and it's not that people say, well, in that case, I'll just rent because uh, rental prices are also um, increasing. Although I would definitely say that this summer, the prime lettings market seems to be uh, less uh, less buoyant than it was last summer. But yeah. the the uh, the core market, as one as as we've come to call it in the industry, um, I would say that is in London anything below about eight hundred pounds a week um, is absolutely booming. You know, a, a two bedroom or three bedroom flat for anywhere between five hundred and eight hundred pounds a week. I mean, it, it's just an absolute bonfire. Yeah. And that's because there's, I guess, there's fewer properties to rent as well. Uh, it, um, yeah. It's well, once plant. again, Chris, it's, uh, you know, we, we talked on this, let's not go into too much, but um, I mean, it's because a lot of landlords are are just getting out of the industry yeah. or they just don't want to be involved, but there's just too much bureaucracy and too n- not enough tax incentives. Mm. And I, I, mean, I think, again, with developers, you know, just talking about what we were earlier, it's the same thing that this surely this is a place where the government should intervene with giving tax incentives to landlords like they used to be and to developers mm. and to, so that we can have more affordable housing. I mean, that, that's part of the problem. And I think you've hit the, so the nail right on there, right? Because... It, more landlords are trying to get out because it's just not profitable for them to do this anymore, right? Which is just, just crazy, right? So they're, they're evicting and their tenants or waiting for their tenants to, to come to an end of their term and then they put the property on the market. The property market is such with interest rates that they're going to have to take a hit. Mm-hmm. So that might not make sense either. And then the property can remain empty provided they mm. can afford to, to pay for the cost of doing it, right? So you have less properties on the market causing rental prices to go up. Absolutely. And, and that's that's a vicious spiral, right? If you incentivize landlords correctly, there's more properties, more choices, and prices will come down, right? And then yeah. you don't have this issue between um, people buying or renting or not being able to afford to do either, right? Um it's a real sticky situation. I sent you that LinkedIn article this morning, um, mm. which I haven't gone through in detail, so we won't discuss it fully. But I, they were saying the same thing. I said, you know, stop ostracizing the landlords. They're yeah. good for the stop economy. Demonizing yeah. landlords. They're so good for the economy. And they're, mm-hmm. they're buying up properties. They're investing in the country. Yeah. They're putting money in the UK. Yeah. It's not like they're just dragging the money back because you can't do that anymore. You know, yeah. it's taxed here in the UK, which means more money for us. Yeah. Um, for infrastructure, for all these sort of things. Yeah, what a calamity! <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, let, let's touch. Let's touch on the market. Um, we have been uh, uh, fairly busy, I would say, all, all things considered. Yeah. Um, where uh, you know we speak to a lot of our colleagues on a day-to-day basis. We often work with a lot of our friends in other agencies, um, and I think we can all say that um, 
the, the, there are still buyers out there, very much so, because people need to move and um, want to move, um, and uh, there's still a lot of money around in London. What's quite clear, though, is transaction levels are down, mm. um, and um, so that af certainly affects us within the industry um, and also affects statistics that comes out in the press um, because it can um, often be a, 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 you know, a bit scary when you see your property sales are down by X percentage. You know, these are quite big percentages, 20 30%. percent um, But um, that is obviously just because less people are able to afford what they thought they would be moving into and I think are in a wait and see mode. Um, but it's not like the worst time ever. Um, properties are still trading um, and, uh, you know, we'll get through it. Um, but what we're about to see now is we're about to go into what well, we're already in the in the school holidays uh, most kids are have broken up mm -hmm. in private schools or yeah. public schools on holiday yet uh they, i think they break up this no actually they break up for uh, two weeks time okay yeah. so we're, we're, we're at that point in the year where a lot of people will will um put their feet up over the summer holidays um and we will see what september brings mm -hmm. um it's not going to bring any lower interest rates it mm -hmm. might probably bring higher interest rates and i think maybe in september we'll um we'll uh, We'll, we'll, we'll do more about interest rates and, and perhaps talk to some financial experts. Um, but um, what we'll what we're going to see now is the, the the summer rush for lettings properties, um, which we're already in, and that will continue as it always does, right through to September, October, even sometimes into November. Um, and I would say that we are looking at a very tough sales market, interest rate wise, until at very least early next year. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. But but uh, equally, uh, for anyone who's actually thinking about buying, there, w when the market says this is a buyer's market, that means you missed it. Um, you've got to be quicker than that. And that's true for any sort of financial investment, right? Yeah. By the Missing time the stock bottom, market, right? Stock yeah. market says now's the time to buy. Mm -hmm. you, missed it. you missed it already. Well, it's a great time to buy. Now is a great time. Yeah. Now's yeah. a great time to buy if you've got, if you've got cash. Exactly. There because are some deals around. There are. And a lot of land. I mean, yesterday, I uh, in the afternoon, we saw eight properties with eight different agents and every single agent said oh yeah my, my client's very motivated to sell every single one <laughs> i'll bet they are <laughs> and uh, my, my, you know i had a lovely turkish family i was out with yesterday and and he's a very senior uh, director um of a very high company in in turkey and he was just sort of laughing at it so saying is you know is there any property that's not worth buying right now but interestingly <laughs> you know i showed two very similar flats and they were two hundred fifty thousand pounds apart in price so the you know it's difficult for someone you know for I can see, I can say, well, that's a realistic price. That's yeah. an unrealistic price. Yeah. Right? They're trying not to lose too much money from when they bought it, for example. But mm. from, a, from an investor point of view, they keep thinking, well, you know, we keep going up in price, then we keep going down in price. I don't see any difference in the size of the properties. Yeah. You know, how do I make a decision? Yeah. So that's one problem. And then when they start, when, you know, by the time they find something they like to offer, they're like, okay, so we buy this property in a week, two weeks? Yeah. No. And yeah. then we have the lawyers and everything else that comes in. And because these particular flats we looked at were new builds, we know what's coming. Do you have the EWS on certificates? Do you have the fire regulations? Do you have this? Do you have that? And it's well, all going and, and well, to... That, that, that brings us, you know, onto why people should have representation 
to buy yeah. as well as to sell. Which is what we talked with uh, talked about with sorry, Rupert. With Rupert. Mm. Uh, and I think that's, you know, this it's is a perfect a, example once again. Yeah, this is one of the few countries that doesn't do it. Yeah. You know, the, the buy should 100% be represented by uh, an industry professional yeah. who can guide them through this. Yeah. At the moment, I mean, yesterday I was doing that, even though they're not my client. Uh, yeah. And when I say that, they're not my client, the buyer that is, he doesn't pay my fee. So, uh, you know, he's not my client. Um, the client is the seller. Um, but he should definitely, I should have been out talking to his advisor. Absolutely. Uh, and then, or you should be his advisor. Or should be his advisor, you know, yeah. Because why not? I mean, who better than to advise a buyer than than people who've been selling property to buyers? Oh, 100%. 100%. But it's so it's tricky. But it, I think right now, right now, and and in August, if you, provided you can get into the apartment, that was the other thing as well, which is something that's a new trend that we haven't seen in a long time. Right? Out of those eight properties we saw yesterday afternoon, I think it was seven. Seven of them were let out. Yeah, which creates problems. I for access because tenants don't have to give access. Some of these tenants are not in there. They're not on their sort of final two months. And there's in eight, no interest eight, for eight them months. to show the property no. sale. It just disrupts their lives. Exactly. If you are serious about selling a property, don't put a tenant in it. Yeah, that's really good advice. Unfortunately, a lot of people can't afford it because well, exactly. we talked about this in our first uh, yeah. podcast. Service charges have gone through the roof. Yeah. And that cost is unattainable even for the wealthier classes, if you like. Mm. Um, it's crazy. I mean, my own service charge has gone up by over a thousand pounds a year yeah know? and i'm seeing no difference as a matter of fact I'm, i think i'm seeing less value for money now um, yeah. than i was before well, and then you can multiply that up as you go around right i mean some of these buildings have ten thousand pounds more service charge now than they did last year yeah um so what do they do they rent out the flats but they want to sell it so they put a provision in the contract to say if i find a buyer mm. you know you're gonna have to move out in two months exactly mm. right? Right? yeah the tenants don't like that so around and around it goes but, yeah yeah not good not good. Well, look. I mean, I think we'll um, we'll 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 say that if you if you if you can leave a property empty um, while you're trying to sell it, that is definitely the way to do it. But um, you know, we can always rent it out for you if you if you can't. In the same way that any agent will say the same thing. I think it's all about giving the best advice and just making sure that people have have covered all their bases to say yes you can get the income but you can forget about selling it for a year or however long yeah. that i mean because the reality is it's not going to sell no matter even if you put the provision in the contract you'll be very very lucky to have that flat looking like it would look if you lived there or if it was dressed for a sale in all likelihood it's going to be clothes all over the place food all over the kitchen very hard to get in that one buyer will be in town and you'll miss that viewing yeah it's how many times have we seen that happen yeah, again and again and again. Time. Well, look, I think that um, I think there is a lot to be positive about, Chris. There's there are there are buyers who are able to pick up good deals for sure, um, and there is um, a, a lot of incentive to get interest rates down. And I'm I think everyone's going to be in the government doing their their damnedest to do to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and um, hopefully, banks will be lenient with people who are unable to pay their mortgages. Yeah. Uh, we're all going to um, enjoy a few weeks of lovely summer holidays um, and um, come back strong in September. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, th I think just talking about those two points um, before we close off, I, okay. I think uh, banks will have to become lenient because you and I discussed yeah. this the other day. Banks don't want to be sitting with a portfolio no. of distressed properties. Because who's going to buy them? Who's going to buy them? Yeah. Uh, and they don't want their asset on their books either. It's just, it doesn't make any sense, particularly not if that asset is declining in value. Hmm. So they're going to have to become lenient. Yeah. They will be. Yeah. And also in the age of social media yeah. you know people don't want to oh my house has just been repossessed by x bank correct that, that which is almost a more vital point that you've just um, mentioned there as well and then um 
I think regardless of interest rates, people always adapt eventually. Mm. When there's a lot of upheaval, what do, you know, what do people do? They sit back on the fences and mm. wait for it to calm down, yeah. which is more or less where we are right now. Yeah. But I think we're coming to the end of that cycle, which is why I'm saying now's the time to buy because come September, you it might not be the same situation. Yeah. Because once once there's some clarity, when people think, oh, actually, interest rates aren't going to go up, okay? Well, I think once they stop going up, yeah. you know, and they and they settle, or, or, or once perhaps, Chris, we, we might even say, once they stop coming down yeah like if they go up maybe a couple more times which they probably will and then at some point they're going to come down a little bit and when they sort of stabilize or banks are offering a little bit higher or a little bit lower that's when we'll start people say okay this is what bank this is what interest rates are going to be like because mm -hmm. these are not ridiculous interest rates let's face it they're not mm -hmm. but what people have to do is adjust their expectations of what they can afford to buy and that's that yeah you are, you are no longer going to be able to buy that house at two million pounds you're going to have to buy a house at one and a half million pounds yeah. and either property prices will adjust so that there are more buyers in that uh, in that bracket or people are just going to have to buy something with one less bedroom or not as big a garden or no off-street parking or etc etc it'll be interesting and i'll ask you for your prediction here then since you mentioned that um when stamp duty went from five percent the, the top bracket to seven percent yeah it's moved several times since then it's a lot higher now but when it went from five to seven yeah it was the two million pound mark mm -hmm. remember i do how many people bought properties at two million pounds a lot of that were investor visas there was a requirement to put money into the country to get a visa but two million if mm. you were on a two and a half or two and a quarter you mm. had to go down to 1.999 to sell it you did it set that limit so yeah. it killed off half a million pounds it did it just uh, wiped it off the value wiped of those homes yeah so what do you think is going to happen now then I think that there is no question that property prices are going to drop um, because they are simply not going to be enough buyers around. I don't think they're going to drop for that can afford them. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to drop very much, but I think they will certainly have to compensate. I would say, for example, just to give it a, and maybe, you know, make it more real that people can understand. I'd say if a property was three million pounds, I would say it would probably end up selling at. 3.695 if it was 4 million pounds. sorry if it was 4 million pounds we'd end up yeah. getting 3.695 <laughs> yeah. so that 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 kind of that kind of figure i think yeah. that's what we'll yeah. see in an adjustment if something was going to sell at 2 million pounds i'd say it'd be selling at 1.85 okay. what right. do you think yeah no i mean if if that happens that's not too bad i guess um the thing about property, uh, property prices dropping in the UK is yeah. that we've now, this is the second time in our in our careers that we're working through a very, very challenging period of time. And, and the likelihood of us going into recession seems to be quite high, et cetera. But 2008 was that, that sort of boom moment uh, when everything stopped. Did we see property prices drop in 2008? Not really. There was an they, initial They dropped flourish. for six months yeah, uh, six, for distressed sellers. 100%, right? But yeah. the average person just said, well, I'll just sit back, rent it out, mm. and pull back. Mm. And then what happened at the end of 2019, which was about 18 months after the financial crisis, property prices were trading at a higher price than they were pre-2008. So it didn't take long. Wait, your dates were wrong there. 2019, you said? 2009, I meant. Nine, right, yeah. So 18 months after the, the, the collapse of Lehman Brothers, prices were higher than they were. They were, yeah. but 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 the, but the interest rates had dropped to they very, very low, yeah. very, very low. And um, we're in a, a very different situation now. But I guess the, the point... Very, the point high, very high prices and very high interest rates. People literally can't afford it. Yeah, I just, I, I struggle to see people taking that sort of loss. 
you know, it depends what they bought it for. Yeah. If they're selling at 2 million and they end up taking 1.85, but they paid 1.2. Well, no, that's fair enough. Happy day. That's fair enough. Um, we've and a got, lot of people we've, are we've selling got property for yeah. they've had for years. Yeah, and we have clients that have, you know, have had to take that very difficult decision where they paid one and a half and an hour to sell at 1.2 or less, right? So Yeah, well, that's, actually, a, that's a much less favorable situation. It is. But I don't think we're going to see much of that. I think you're right. You know, those that have sat there on their properties for a while and, and sort of geared up on, on capital appreciation, um, they'll still sell their profit yeah and eventually they'll go back up because they always do yeah there we are Chris we've got to go because we're out of time um, thanks everybody that's a toodaloo from me and a hey from me 